Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Nick and I are in a group that uh, meets yearly, 12 international apostolic leaders, and 12 from the U.S., and uh, we've fallen in love with Yinka, and he got our attention. We fell in love with him before he started getting famous, and his church in Reading, England, over just a few months, saw thousands of decisions for Christ. Unusual anywhere in the world, but even more particularly in England. And so it's really a gift for all of us and just a, a grateful to Inga's family for letting him go again and to come and be with us and to, and to begin doing some planning. Would you guys give a warm Bethel Atlanta welcome to Yinka as he comes, Yinka Wyken. Amen. Bless you. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. I, uh, you know, I live in England, and of course, I know this is America, and so I've got to really be careful because I know what you do to royal people here. So, um, but thank God we're all a royal priesthood. Amen. So uh, it's great to be here. I want to just want to thank uh, Steve and Lindy because, um, you know, the, the, the reason I've come, to be honest with you, the reason I'm, I'm here is because they showed me such love. Because uh, my, uh, when I first started going to Bethel, my, my kids are actually very young. Well, uh, when I first started going to Bethel, they were young. My, my youngest is still just nine years old. Um, and so it was really hard because obviously you get an invitation to come to Bell and you think, well, hey, who doesn't want to sit at, at his feet? And um, you know, as long as they're not smelly, it's okay, you know, so. <laughs> I can see we're going to connect. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, when I preach in my home church, in, in my, you know, so I, I essentially pastor a white church, but thank God we've got some black people in it. And, um, but, the, but the real difficulty is that because I'm a Nigerian, when I crack my jokes, my kids are rolling all over the floor, laughing their heads off, and everybody's going. <laughs> well, they're English, so you know it's. But you know, when I when I went to when I went to uh, uh, these guys showed me such love, they went out of the way to just love on me, and I you know I was there myself. You know, everybody had their wives there. They were smooching. It was so, you know. <laughs> I mean, they weren't smooching. At least I didn't catch them smooching. Um, I'm sure they smooched. <laughs> anyway, so, but they, and so when, when this grace came to us, and i just share just a couple of things about it, you know, uh, all I was trying to do was win the lost in my city. That's all, you know. Uh, so all I was trying to do, just reach out to the lost, you know, I got to a place where I realized when I was a young Christian, we used to do missions every, every year. Every year. We, anybody here remember those days when you had a mission every year? 
Did you do that in America? Yes. Really? Yes. So we, we used to do it every year in Scotland, and we'd have a mission, and, and everybody would take time off work, and we would go out and reach the lost, and people get saved. And, uh, you know, and it wouldn't be about a big evangelist. It'd be about the church. We're, you know, we might invite somebody. We might not. But we all did it. And I realized that we'd stop doing that. I mean, do you guys still do it? Okay, but I, I realized we'd stop doing it. I realized, you know, you know I don't want you to feel guilty. Like you're all thinking, oh, you know, no, no, you know, I realized, we, so I said, I'm just going to repent. So I repented before God. I said, God, I'm really sorry. And I began to say to our leadership team, we need to be reaching out to the lost and we need to do what we used to do before and we need to win souls. And they all kind of looked at me and they said, okay, and, and so we had our first mission, and I tell you what, putting it together, an evangelistic team to run mission, caused me such pain. It brought all kind of like, it, it, like the devil just kind of did, I mean, it was unbelievable. But we broke through, second mission, 2016. In four weeks, 1,850 people prayed to give their lives to Christ. In Reading. In Reading. Reading, England. The real Reading. The original reading, as Bill Johnson would say. And, uh, you know, so it was a real, it was a real uh, extraordinary experience. But behind it all has been a hunger and a thirsting after Jesus and a believing, for his wor- a believing of his word. So I want to share with you what I, I, I believe is there's something about prophetic proclamation that releases heaven into our midst. And, and prophetic proclamation isn't... Um, it's not an added extra. I remember in the, in the days of, uh, in the days of Derek Prince, Derek Prince used to come to our camps. We ran a camp in England, and Derek Prince used to come to it. In fact, the last few years of his life, anybody here heard of Derek Prince? Yeah, the last few years of his life, he used to come to our camp in England. It's amazing, you know. You know, it wasn't a huge camp. You only had a few hundred people at it, but he would come. He wanted to come and bless us and stand with us. And, and so we stood in the shadow and under the blessing of some really amazing people. Some really amazing ministers. And Mahath Chavda used to come to our camp. And Anyway, if you have your Bible, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, Justin Cornwall. Anybody here heard of Justin Cornwall? Oh, Justin Cornwall. My wife doesn't like strange people hugging her. No, she doesn't. She doesn't, you know, you know and she just doesn't like it, you know. Um, but Justin Cornwall, he's an American you know, he looked like Santa Claus. She was always happy for him to give her a hug, you know. She said he was her favorite preacher. If it wasn't for the fact that I knew I was a child of God, I'd really feel insecure at that point. But, you know, Justin Cornwall, incredible. And his sister is in, um, is in, uh, in, is in Arizona with Michael Mayton. She is an extraordinary preacher as well. Justin, if you can go on Google or wherever his messages. He was just an amazing preacher for his time. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 4. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. Everybody say good news. To the poor. Any poor people here? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom. Everybody say freedom. For the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, 
and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise <laughs> instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated that have been devastated for generations. Who, who are these amazing builders? Who are these incredible people that are going to restore broken down places, cities that have been devastated? Who are these amazing builders? They're those who were once, they're brokenhearted. Those who were once captive, those who were once bound, those who were once prisoners. God is going to do such a restorative work in their lives and in their hearts through the anointing that Isaiah saw that was upon Jesus Christ. In fact, when Isaiah saw this anointing that was on Jesus Christ, you zoom forward to verse 10, he says, I delight. The word, Hebrew word there is gil, which means to spin round under the influence of a violent emotion, okay? Michael Jackson, move over. And I, you know, I, can't, I, I used to kind of imagine Isaiah, a prophet, you know, kind of like really serious. And then, and then you know, it really, really makes me laugh to think his beard spinning around with him, you know. Just incredible picture. And, and when he saw this anointing upon Christ, he was so moved in his spirit. Why? Because this anointing set captives free, but it didn't just set them free, it made them world changers, city takers. It transformed not just their personal fortunes, it transformed the fortunes of everybody around them. So if you're broken, if you're dispossessed, if you're an alien, a stranger, if you're hard-pressed, if you've been under the cosh, under the... Under the, the, you don't have cautious over here, okay. You know, if you've been under the thumb, you have thumbs here? Yeah, you got thumbs here. You know, if you've been under, if you've been oppressed by the enemy, I want to tell you, when your freedom comes, you're going to rebuild all the things that he tried to smash out in your life and not just yours, you're going to do it for everybody else. You see, when was the last time Wales, I mean, these guys are amazing. They came over to Wales, amazing, because they heard God might be doing something. You know, some of us, it's kind of like, well, God might be doing something. Let me know about it when you get back. But they were on the plane. You know, the hunger, that, you know, the hunger that's in there, amazing. And the thing about this is this. I don't think anybody can recall there ever being a mission to the whole of Wales. Okay, now they're, do they're doing another one this month. So, but, but, but who would have ever thought that we could have been part because if you, if you hear, read the history of Wales, what you'll read about is it had a revival. It lasted a couple of years. The guy who was leading it got burnt out, Evan Roberts. He got burnt out in the end. And actually, the thousands of people that were saved, after a few years, none were left. Okay, So after about 20 years, the very churches that were filled up were all empty again. Right? So, but we know God did something. We know God moved the people around Evan Roberts. When they saw, when they heard about the revival, they also went to Luke. The ministers around them, this is recorded history, okay? They went to have a look. And when they got there, they said, this is not God moving. And they went back to pray for revival. You know how, it's, how easy it is to be in a moment with God 
when God is actually moving and to, 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 to miss it because it's not what you expected it to be like. Whoa. In hindsight, we look back, we say, oh, that was God. But those around, the men of God, women of God who were praying, and these are godly people who were praying, they missed it because they didn't see his hand. They, was not, they were not intimate with him in the way they needed to be to understand, oh, this is the Lord and there's none like him. And so Isaiah sees this anointing upon Jesus Christ and it's an anointing that transforms broken people into extraordinary soul winners, into extraordinary nation and city changers. But you see, that anointing, uh, there's something about it that we, we need to understand. We, we need revelation. We need to see beyond the natural. When you see beyond the natural, what you see becomes yours. And so, so the, the, the anointing that's upon your life and every one of us is anointed. The Bible says, you all have an anointing from the, from the Holy One. We're all anointed, okay? And just as that anointing teaches us about all things, the anointing teaches us. But just because we're anointed doesn't mean we're activated into that anointing. Because every anointing has its own key, if you like, its own uh, means by which it becomes functional and efficacious, becomes active in your life. Just like you have activations, the anointing has got to be released. And what Isaiah saw was that upon Jesus Christ, the anointing upon Christ was an anointing for proclamation. That's exactly what Jesus did. He went about preaching the good news. And he preached the good news of, his favorite message was the good news about the kingdom. And so a prophetic proclamation is seen in this passage here. Proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the captives. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So how Jesus' anointing was activated was by obeying his calling, which was to proclaim, to speak out prophetically. Before anything ever happened, he was prophesying, proclaiming, declaring the kingdom of God. Before there ever was a church, he was prophesying, declaring there's gonna be one. I'm gonna build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You know, it's really amazing every time people say the church is over, how it suddenly springs up again. Well, because you cannot kill what God has blessed. And so prophetic proclamation is the irresistible power that restores from ruin and reverses decimation. You know, I, I, I love this. You know, your anointing has a means by which it can be activated so that your anointing, just like Christ's anointing, I mean, you can share in his anointing because he's told us to go and preach good news to the poor. You can engage in prophetic proclamation just like he did because that anointing for winning the world, he's placed upon the church. So, so you can do this stuff and we're gonna see what this stuff can release into our lives in a minute. But first of all, let's understand a couple more things. Everybody say release. release. What is the result of flowing in an anointing that's activated? Release. And so it says there that to open the eyes of the blind. I, I, this is an amazing thing here. And the Hebrew word here is paka, means, comes from a, if you like, a, a root word, which means to open the eyes. And it's a bit like, you know what, you know, when you're sitting in a room and it's all dark, and somebody puts the lights on, you go, you know, you know the eyes being opened, suddenly being able to see. I, I, I kind of like liken it to a spiritual awakening or, you know, so those sitting in gloom, in dungeon, in darkness, okay, those sitting in oppression, 
their eyes suddenly are opened, they can suddenly see. And, and this is what happened to, to Lazarus. I, I, mean, I don't know where, I don't know, I mean, Lazarus was dead, and he'd been dead for four days. Four days dead means really dead, okay? So four days dead means, you know, well, you know, the corruption has set in, you know, and it, it means kind of like there's a bit of an odor around, right? Four days dead, I mean, four days, four days, I mean, Jesus does some wild things. I mean, you know, he is, Hebrew thinking was the soul would have left by then. And, and, you know, and isn't it interesting that God didn't let Jesus go there? I mean, this was one of his friends. And God didn't let him, God didn't, God, you know, you know, you know the whole, Jesus was not released to go before he died. God's timing is perfect. Somebody say amen. Now you might not think it is, but it is perfect. And, 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 and so there is, you know, Jesus does some wild things. That, you know, he kind of like says, okay, now, you know, let's go to the graveside. Uh, roll the stone away. I mean, you know, imagine if, imagine if, I don't know, I, 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 I've had some wild experiences in my life. And one of them was when uh, I, first time I came to New York, very first time, never, never been there before. And the pastor picked me up from the airport. I mean, maybe it's the kind of thing pastors in New York do, I don't know. But he took me to, he said, oh, I've just got to go to a funeral. So our first time you know, in New York, we had to go straight from the airport to a funeral. It is an Indian pastor. Uh, anyway. And, uh, and so we got, to, we got to this funeral. And so I'm like, I can like stand out because, you know, there are not very many black people there. You know, they're all Indians. So, so you know, uh, uh, so kind of like he goes to the front and he shares this, uh, you know, uh, whatever it is, he's talking, uh, it was an open casket, you know, kind of like, so that was kind of, ooh, an open casket, you know, and then, and then he said, and now we have a Pastor Yinka from England, and he's going to come and say a few words. <laughs> so I kind of like, I come, I kind of like, like, open casket, I don't know who this guy is, you know, <laughs> you know, whoever, I know he's dead, but that's all I know about him, you know. There's a family all weeping on the front road and crying. I'm thinking, what can I say? I, know, I don't know anybody there. And they're all sober. They're all wearing black and they're all sober. So I, I kind of go, shabba, 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 you know. <laughs> that was wild. You know, I, I, and Jesus does some, some wild stuff. I mean, he, he does some crazy stuff. I mean, I remember when I, was a, when I was a young minister, I used to do some wild stuff. You know, I would go to, this is going to freak some people out, but that's okay. I, I, would, I would go to, I would, you know, you know, like you drive around and you, you go to like a, a motorway service area. I don't know if you have them over here and you can go in and get a coffee and a tea and all that kind of stuff, maybe something to eat. Well, I would go into those places and I will say, everybody stop walking. You probably shouldn't do that in America. <laughs> Don't do what I did. So everybody, and they'd all stand free, everybody would freeze. And then I'd preach the gospel. Yeah, 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 preach the gospel. All my friends, they would all say, if you're gonna do this, just wait till we're gone. <laughs> okay, just wait till we're gone. When we're in the car, we've got the engine running, then you can do it. And, and so, you know, it, 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 you know, there's Lazarus and Jesus is standing before him. And what does Jesus do? It's prophetic proclamation. He says, Lazarus, come forth. I, I don't know how dead, how more dead you can get in four days dead. But from somewhere in the darkest gloom, Lazarus' spiritual eyes were opened. Paka. 
Recovery of sight for the blind. And you see, once you hear his voice and what he's got to say into your spirit, you can't unhear it. Once you see what he shows you, you can't unsee it. And so from the darkest gloom, you know, it couldn't have been a great place because Lazarus was in a hurry to come, okay? And so there he was, hobbling out, you know, hobbling out. I just love it. He was in darkest gloom and now prophetically, he was standing and literally the bandages were being unwound and his eyes were open. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. You know, and that is what prophetic proclamation is. It's what Jesus did when he told the disciples to get the people to sit down in, in, in groups before they were, before they were fed. Well, what was he doing? It was prophetic proclamation. You're going to feed them. Whoa, really? Yes, you are. Look, think about this very carefully. You know, so, so Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Get them to sit down in groups. He was prophesying all the time he was doing this. What was he saying? You're going to feed them. Get to sit down in groups. So that's what they did. And when they sat down in groups, what happened was what's really amazing was that the miracle began to unfold in their hands. Now, now this is something the Lord showed me. It's a bit like uh, you got to see it to own it, okay? You, you got to really see what God is doing. You know, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? He's not asking because you've not spent three years walking with him. He's not asking because... He's not asking because he thinks you don't know what his name is. But the reason he's asking his disciples is he wants to see if they've got revelation yet about who he is. Because it's the revelation that God is looking for. It's revelation that releases the faith. It's revelation that releases the power. It's revelation that makes you own the space. And so, so when they say you are the Christ, the son, yeah, he said, I say, God, the Father's revealed. You can only see this if the Father revealed it. And, and so, so what the Lord showed me uh, out of this outpouring, and it was really, I mean, I, I, I'm not a great preacher and I'm not a great uh, pastor. I mean, if somebody breaks their leg in my church, I kind of think, well, great, you've got another one, you can hop, you know. I, you, know it, it's, you, know, you know, I mean, I, I really have to work at compassion. It's really, you know, I don't know whether it's my Nigerian heritage or my Scottish heritage, I'm not quite sure, but somewhere in the line's got to be broken in Jesus' name. And so, and, and so, you know, there's something, there's, something, there's something about the revelation. There's something about seeing. There's something about understanding. And, and, and the minute you begin to see, the minute you begin to understand what the Father is doing, the minute you begin to recognize what, it, what, what he's trying to produce, that's when it becomes yours. And so, so the disciples are all sitting down. The Lord shows me this, that, that you, know, you know what Yenke said to me? He said in one of my... Quiet times. I, I, I pray a couple of hours a day. At least one hour I'll pray a day. And, uh, you know, before I leave my room, although I've had a, I've had a lie in the last couple of days. Oh. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's this. He showed me this. He said, he asked me once to go back and read this passage. And I went back to read it. And, and uh, the Lord said to me, what do you see? I said, they all ate fish and loaves. Hallelujah. And he said, no, 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 <laughs> no, before that, I said, you prayed for it and they all hate for you. He said, okay. I said, Lord, just tell me I'm a bit thick, okay? So, so, so the, Lord, the Lord told me that he asked them, he got his disciples to ask them to sit down in groups. 
And what he said to me was, administration precedes the miracle. Oh, it sounds really clever, but it came from him. You know, and I said, okay, Lord. I said, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And then a few months later, he, he spoke to me again in my sleep and, and, and then woke me up and, and asked me, he said, now, Nyenka, tell me, you know, what, what, when you read that passage, what do you see? I said, administration precedes the miracle. And they all ate fish, you know. And he said, okay, Yinka, now tell me what did they see? And I said, well, uh, uh, Lord, you just tell me because you know what? When you say it, it always sounds better. <laughs> and, and what the Lord showed me was this. He, said, he, he showed me, he said, all they saw was lunch. The disciples saw the miracle. It was in their hands that the fish and loaves would be multiplied. But the people sitting in the groups, all they saw was lunches coming. And the Lord showed me and told me that the closer you are to me, the more you'll see the miraculous. The more intimate you are with me, the more you'll see. Which is why I am so blessed to know these guys because they came all the way out. They came all the way out. So the thing about this grace that God has given to us, which, you know, I'm so excited that we're going to be partnering together. The thing about this grace that God has released, it's been around for 30 years. You see, but the problem is that people haven't understood what it's for. You see, there is a grace to win the lost. It's there. I mean, these guys led 16 people to the Lord when they were with us in what, four hours? How many hours was it? Four hours? They, they prayed for 16 people to accept Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, in, in the space of, I mean, you know, the grace is there. That's, the problem isn't the grace to win the lost. The problem is the perseverance to make disciples of them. But of course, you know, for some people, all this will be is a technique, a may, a way, because they're not close to Jesus. They're not intimate. They're not understanding. It's a miraculous thing that he's given to the body of Christ. So prophetic proclamation, that's what Jesus did when he said to the disciples, right, okay, now you're going to feed them. And there's something about moving in the realm of God, moving in the realm of the Spirit, moving in the realm of life, through which the power of God works through us. And of course, He's given us and granted us this grace. But, you know, for some of us, it's kind of like, oh God, you know, I'm in a really tough place right now, you know. You know, do you love me anymore? I mean, listen, can I just say, I'm a pastor who's done that as well. So, you know, just feel, just feel comfortable right where you are. You know, I've had to repent probably more than any other pastor in Reading because, you know, you know because, because actually, you know, I'm not as sanctified as most of them. But thank you, Jesus, I'm getting better, okay? And I, and I, and I, and I kind of, you know, pain, I just, I don't do, I don't do pain well. You know, I, I, I'm not like most men. Most men are tough and rugged and, you know, I, I kind of, when pain comes my way, I kind of, oh, shakabala, Lord, I repent. <laughs> now, tell me what I've got to repent of. You know, I, you know I, I, don't, I don't like, I don't like pain. But you see, when, 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 God begins to, when God begins to move and God begins to bring you into another realm, into another place, it's, it's, it can be really tough. It can be really hard. You, you might end up thinking, God, do, do you love me anymore? Am I still your favorite? I remember the days when I needed to snuggle into your arms and you used to say nice things to me. <laughs> but it seems to have got a little bit quiet, you know, you know, I, I don't know, do you ever feel like that? You know, kind of, oh God, don't you love me anymore? 
Let me tell you something about the desert experience. Because some of us think, you know, I'm going through a desert experience. God doesn't love me. Anymore. I've got to have done something wrong. And we're letting the devil pile guilt on us. Okay? I've got to have done something wrong. Why else would I be suffering? You know, maybe it's my wife's fault. You know, I mean, you know. <laughs> Where are my car keys? What have you done with my, you know. Darling, I had a point of letters over here. The, the, what have you done with them? Anybody recognize that one? We just find somebody else to blame. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's kind of like the desert. Let me tell you something. The very first job, the very first task that the father gave the son was what? I'll tell you, don't worry. I don't want to embarrass anybody. You know, if I, well, maybe once I get to know you a bit better. The very first job that the father gave the son was to go into the desert. Okay? Now, now think about this very much. You know, did, did God love Jesus? Because, you know, because when you're going through desert experiences, you might think, God doesn't love me anymore. I've done something wrong. Or maybe, maybe there's something in the house that I need to break and bind in Jesus' name. You know, you know maybe, you know, is there any attitude? I don't know. When we go through desert experiences, we might think that maybe God no longer loves us. I'm going to tell you something. You need to understand that suffering and going through suffering is something you will experience if you're pursuing Christ with all your heart. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that we participate in his suffering. Now, now you understand this. What does that mean? Does it mean theoretically? No, it doesn't mean theoretically. If you're really going to serve Jesus and walk with Jesus and, and, and give him your all and your best, then you need to understand that Satan still hates everything that Jesus represents. And he will throw everything out. And so you're going to, you, have to, you have to be willing to walk through the valley of the shadow. Somebody say amen and say, oh Lord, no, don't tell me I have to do that. Listen, let me explain this way to you. You see, when Jesus went into the desert, there was a reason why God sent him there. And the reason God sent him there was so that he could learn to silence every voice other than the voice of God. Because in the desert, you see, where do, where do demonic powers dwell when they're cast out of people? Arid places. And so, so what happened was the father wanted the son who had spent his whole life living, living out of anticipation of serving him. The father wanted the son to overcome the desert. Why? Because unless you overcome and silence the voices in the desert, you'll never take the city. You see, there are very few voices in the desert, but in the city, there are many voices. So you've got to learn to say, Man doesn't live bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, the only voice I'm going to listen to is the voice of God. So the desert isn't a place you go to die. The desert is a place you go to train so that you can overcome, so that you can take your city. Somebody say hallelujah. Does the desert feel different to you now? You know, get your boxing gloves on. I mean, you know, I can float like a butterfly. Sting like a bee. Your hands can't hit where your eyes can't see. I mean, you, you've got to learn to overcome in the arid places if you want to take places where you can be easily tempted. You know how many temptations there are in the city? You've got to learn to silence every voice so that you can take the one that matters. And, and so the, 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 there's, something, there's something about the, you know, the demoniac was in the desert. You know, he, he lived among gravestones and, he lived in kind of like isolated, you know, 
You got to learn to sign it. How can you take the money? I remember, I remember once we were, listen, this was like, it was something out of the key, you know what, Keystone Cops? Is that an American thing? Yeah, it must be because it was kind of flap stick comedy, wasn't it? Very American. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I remember this, ha- this happened. So Derek Prince was ministering. We had a camp, about 3,000 people there. Derek was ministering. And it, we made a mistake. We let him do deliverance at nighttime. Now, at nighttime, that's when all the demons are active. Okay? They're kind of like full of beans. And the closer you get to midnight, the more full of beans they are. The, the worst thing you can do is deliverance at night. What you got to do is early in the morning when they're tired. And they can't, you know, they don't want to get out of bed. You're, oh, yeah, you're getting out of bed and you're getting out of him. So if you're going to do deliverance, do it early in the morning because the demons, just, they're just sleepy. But we let Derek do it at night. And you know what happened? So I'm, I was in charge of counseling and, the, you know, the counseling team and all the people I was counseling. And I was on a, on a platform and they, they came to get me because Derek, kind of, we, because Derek started, started praying for, I'm going off, I'm going off, but anyway, that's funny. Anyway, I, <laughs> Derek started praying and then chairs were flying around the room. They go, oh my goodness, I'm in charge of counseling. I don't want to be in charge of counseling anymore, okay? Chairs were literally flying through. And then they came to get me. There's, there's a man and he was jumping on the roof of cars from car to car. You know what that means, of course? Each one's a write-off. Because if you jump on the roof, that's it, the car's written off. You know, you can have a dent, a ding on the side, that can be repaired, but the roof makes it unstructurally sound. Okay? So, so anyway, they came to get me. And so I came, you know, I'm thinking, I don't want to go, you know, because I don't know what I'm going to see out there. So I go out, and, you know, and what I literally see, I see 50 people running after this man like this, Okay? And then he turns towards them. And as he runs towards them, they all run away. (laughs) Then he turns around and they all run after him again. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. You know, it was the most hilarious thing. Well, it would be funny if, I'm just glad I wanted one of my cars. And, And so, prophetic proclamation is what Jesus does when he speaks to the blind man. It's what he does when it comes to the pool and he sees the man who'd been bound there for 38 years. It's what he does when he says to the man, pick up your mat and walk. He's, he's making a, nothing's happened yet, but he's making a prophetic declaration over the man that everything's about to change. And, and when, you, when you begin to see into the realm of the spirit and begin to hear into the realm of the spirit, everything uh, does change. I, I, I love this uh, understanding. When we, uh, when, we, when we had this outpouring last year, in one year, we've become the second largest soul winning ministry in the UK. One year. Unbelievable. You know, Little Baptist Church, you know, was a bit of a strange pastor, you know. And uh, you know, and, and, and I, I, I remember I, I really was desperate all my life to go and minister in Scotland and God wouldn't open the door. You know what I mean? You're like, you really want to do something and God just said, no. You know, and then you try and like force your way in. Anybody ever tried that one? Come on now. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, my dad, my, my, 
I, I knew how to nag my dad. My dad was really kind. He was really generous, really kind man. And uh, he'd, he'd give me pocket money. You know, I had lots of friends. I don't know why. Um, you know, <laughs> I think it might be because I used to buy them all sweets. But anyway, he was very, really, but you see, when I ran out of pocket money, I'd follow him around the palace. And, you know, I, I, and, and he was kind of like, and the palace was full of all kind of strange places, shrines and all kinds of, you know, really kind of like, like a really strange place. And, and if it was nighttime, he'd go through the shrines because everybody was terrified. Everybody was scared about going through these dark places. But I always knew where he came out. So I'd run around and I'd wait for him, you know, and I always won. He always gave me extra pocket money. You know, he gave up in the end. You just need to wear him down. Thank you, Jesus. What did Jesus say about his father? He said about his father, you know, speaking about the, 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 the woman who's looking for justice from the unmerciful judge, he said, you know, you just got to keep on praying. You've got to keep on asking. You've got to keep on knocking. Why? Because God loves it when we do that. It tells us that, it tells him that we're serious. It tells him that we're desperate. It tells him, you know, and it doesn't really matter if we ask for the wrong things. He says, come, let's reason together. God isn't angry when we're asking for stuff that we shouldn't be asking for. He'd rather we ask than we didn't ask. Hallelujah, amen? And because Pastor Steve is just like Father Jesus, you can just ask him for anything and he'll give it to you. <laughs> And so, so what, what happened to us was this. The change came. I'll tell you when the change came. The change came when I spoke out, because I, I went through a really tough time trying to bring the church back to an evangelistic church. You know, because we were like, we were like all dressed up as evangelicals. <laughs> but we weren't leading anybody to Jesus. You know, we were card carrying it. We're evangelicals. We're, we're born again Christians. We believe in the gospel, but none of us were preaching it. Okay, I mean, when was the last time you led somebody to Jesus? If you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> You're welcome. And so I was saying, look, we're just hypocrites because we're talking about this, but we're not, none of us are doing it. And then, and then what we do is we hire in an evangelist. I mean, really? I, 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 really, I really meant to be kind of like franchising out the gospel? Is that a bit heavy-handed here? I don't know. I'm a Nigerian in, in America. I don't know, you know, how this works, you know. But is that kind of like really acceptable that we franchise out our evangelistic responsibility? You understand this. Your social action ain't going to save them. You know, when you look after the orphan, the alien, the stranger, the widow, the asylum seeker, when you look at, when you, when you care for all these broken people, the, the, the baby, when you, when you care for an unborn child and, you fight for the right, when you do all these things, listen, it's outworking of the gospel in your life. It isn't the gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died on the cross and shed his blood, that our sins might be washed away, that we might be forgiven, that we might turn to him and be saved, that we might become sons and daughters of the Most High God. If we repent, of those sins. That's the gospel right there. And until the gospel is proclaimed, nobody can get saved because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, not our good works. Can somebody say amen? So when we franchise it out, you know, what we're doing, what we're doing is we're abdicating our responsibility. And then it gets compounded because 
Not only do we now not know how to share the gospel with the lost, we don't know how to follow or disciple anybody up. We don't know how to follow up new converts and we don't know how to disciple them. And so it becomes, discipleship becomes a function of those who are in leadership rather than a responsibility for every member of the church. Because Jesus didn't say, now listen, you can, he didn't say, when they become mature Christians, they can disciple people. What Jesus said was to disciples, now you go and make disciples of all nations. It wasn't a function of spiritual maturity, it was a function of being a disciple. And, and you know, when these things begin to hit you, you begin to realize, Jesus doesn't have a problem with baby Christians trying to lead others to Christ. You know why he doesn't have a problem with it? Because when I think about the stuff I used to say when I was a young minister, I thought, oh my goodness, did I really say that? When I think about, I mean, if I met my younger self, we would have an argument. Because I've changed my mind on a few things. You understand what I'm saying here? And so you, you, you grow in revelation, you grow in understanding, and, 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 and the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. We had a, a woman who got saved in the mission. We could not baptize her because her lifestyle is so chaotic. I mean, she's got herself another boyfriend and she's got herself pregnant. So we, we said to her, look, we, we, you're not living a lifestyle through which we can baptize. We just can't. But she'd led several people to Jesus. And they, some of them were getting baptized. <laughs> and so, so, you know, we, we say, how do we help her understand this? Because you know what Christians are like? I mean, Christians can be so fickle. Oh, pastor didn't speak to me. Pastor didn't speak to me today. So therefore, I'm going to another church where the pastor speaks to you. D- does that not happen in America? <laughs> And so, you know what she did? She said, okay, I trust you. Um, can I hold a towel for them when they come out? Oh, exactly. And that's what she did. And what was really funny was, they would get out the water and say, if it wasn't for this person, I wouldn't be here today. And you're thinking, oh, shakaba, shakaba, You know, only Jesus can do this. You know, discipleship isn't a function of how good you are. Discipleship is about obedience to Jesus. And so, so somehow we've got to move from our desert mentality of, oh, God is punishing me because I'm going through tough stuff to understand, no, that's your training ground. That's where you get your running shoes on, your boxing gloves on. That's where you get your skipping rope out. That's, that's, you know, that's where you get lean and fit. That's, that's where you learn to overcome. That's where you become an overcomer. You become a fighter. You become, you become the child, the son, the daughter that you were meant to be. One who lives by the word of God, one who lives understanding that heaven's on your side. You know, when you go into the dark places, I tell you, I've been, into, I've been to some amazing places in the world and seen some amazing things. I remember one, I remember, one, I remember, again, this is when Derek Prince was around, which is very disconcerting. But I, I remember, you know, they would, I would get, I mean, you, you know, when Derek, when Derek was around, you get woken up at night at a camp saying, oh, somebody's manifesting a demon. I said, how long have they had it for? 20 years, they can keep it another night. You know, you know, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna sleep, okay? Don't come and knock on my door. Go and find a nice pastor. 
But I, I, me- I, me- I remember walking into one, into one tent, you know, where I was like really tired. It was like at the end of like four weeks of camp. You know, it's kind of like, you know, another person needs deliverance. And, um, you know, I kind of walked into this tent and this, this lady was floating six inches off the chair. I literally, lit, she was literally six inches of the chair. I know it was, it was so funny because I was like so tired. I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I could have been sitting down having a cup of coffee and this demon's ruining my quiet time. <laughs> Sit down, I said, you know, boom. You know, anyway, it must have looked impressive, but I really didn't care. Prophetic proclamation is what Jesus did when he spoke to Peter and he said, come on out and join me on the water. And and so there's something about speaking out like Jesus does with faith. Not not presumption, not anxiety, not fear, knowing what God has said to you. I, I, I love what Pastor Steve said in the first service, he said, when I know, when I know, you know, God has a way of confirming to me what he's doing. And, you know, he has a way of showing me, yep, you're right, you got it right. And, and that's probably true for all of us, isn't it? That we know when God is speaking to us. But also the enemy will come along and try and stop you from, from entering into your destiny. That was the whole purpose of the desert. The battle in the desert was the greatest battle of all. Well, the second greatest one. Because perhaps the greatest one was the, the cross. But perhaps the second greatest battle that Jesus ever faced was the temptations in the desert. To, sh- to find a shortcut through to destiny. If you do this and this and this, you can have it. You can have your ministry. You can have, in other words, don't bother serving. Don't, don't love the church, you know. If you, if you love your ministry more than you love the church, you've missed the point of your ministry. Because the whole point, everything Jesus is trying to build is the church. So to have a, a, a mentality and understanding that divorces your ministry from the local church is deception. Because the whole point of the anointing upon your life is to build the church. Now that doesn't just mean the infrastructure of, because there's no such thing as sacred secular. It's all one. Okay, so whether it's business, but, it, but the most important people in any city or town are the pastors. Okay, let me just repeat, maybe I just, whoosh, I just hit something there, whoosh, shabba. The most important people in any town or city are the pastors. Why? Because they're the ones that are to produce the city changes. They're the ones that are to release the people of business, of influence in the marketplace. They're the ones that are meant to nurture and raise up people who can make a significant contribution to the economy, to welfare, to education, to, to justice. And, and so, you know, really in God's economy, you know, the, the local church is the context in which the ministries that God has wanted to raise up to touch the world are birthed usually. I mean, I think about people, I think about people like uh, uh, um, Whitney Houston. I mean, just an amazing talent. Amazing talent given by God. You know, but, but look at what the enemy did to her. If you lose connection with local church, it doesn't matter how talented you are, you've lost connection with the head. 
And, and so, you know, it, it is an important thing to me. I said in the first service, and I, I want to say again, I, I, I've seen some strange sights in my life. And I've seen God do some amazing things. And one of the most amazing for me was when the glory cloud came into our home. And, you know, the, I, I said to you early on that, um, you know, I've had a few extraordinary experiences. I mean, this is just amazing. I, you know, I, I walk into the kitchen and there's a glory cloud. I just walk through the glory cloud. And the, 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 the whole back room door is gleaming bright light. And, and our kids just come and we all look at this thing and we're like, oh my goodness. And we're standing in the glory cloud, worshiping, worshiping God. Just an amazing experience. But then you go along through life and then, it, as I said, in 2015, it was a really tough year for me, really hard. And I kind of like feel, oh, Lord, do you love me? You know, kind of like, I'm sure you don't do that in America. And, uh, you know, oh, Lord, you know, and, and I had to come to a point where I said, Lord, however tough it gets, if it's just me, my wife, and my kids, we will serve you. And the minute I said that, the minute I said it, everything changed. So trying to reach my city, he's now asking me to reach nations. So within a year of the outpouring, we had our first mission to a nation, Wales. Next year, we're going to have our second and third. We're having a mission to France. We're having a three-year plan to reach France. We're having a mission to Scotland. We've got a five-year plan to all the national leaders in Scotland have said they're on board. And only God can do this. And I could go on. I could go on. I could go on. I could go on. Prophetic proclamation. When I said to Father, Lord, if it's just, I will obey your will. When I spoke it out, at that point, everything shifted in heaven. Some of you, you're so tired. You're like the man who got in a rowing boat and rode halfway across the Atlantic and said, I'm tired, I'm going back. <laughs> we got there. Can we make some declarations here? I mean, I love what Lindy started off. I just thought it was so beautiful. So prophetic, what Lindy brought right at the beginning. It's so in tune with everything I felt Father give to me for you, and, uh, which is about proclamation and declaration. And I want you to picture and, and uh, to go back to this a second time and to picture things in your life, in your family, in your relationships that you need to see God break through in, where you know God has spoken and you've not yet seen the fruit of results where you know God has said something, okay? Not where you're not sure, where you know, but where you still see, if you like, a desert barren experience for those who are in it. I'd like us to declare together and to take back ground from Satan in Jesus' name. And, and when Jesus comes back, you know, it's amazing to me, when Jesus comes back from the, the desert, the very first miracle he creates is a miracle which requires it, which requires administration. Again, you know, think about this very carefully. They fill the vats with water. They, and, and what happens, the guests think this is great wine, but the servants who filled it with water, who were closest to Christ, they saw the miracle. Let's stand up. 
we're going to pray. And we're going we're gonna, to, I want you to picture in your mind that thing that you need to break through and for your family, your friends, there are going to be hundreds of people affected by what we pray here tonight. Uh, those in the room and those outside of the room. I want you to understand that, you know, God responds to faith and faith is what's in your heart, okay? Uh, but he doesn't have a problem with doubt. So God doesn't, does, God doesn't get nervous. Oh my goodness, they're doubting me. Um, you, know, it, it, you know, he doesn't get all worried about it. Um, you know, but he wants to help you with your unbelief. He wants to help you with your doubt. He wants to help you through where you're at. He wants you to be honest. You know, God prefers integrity in the innermost part, which means being honest. And, uh, you know, and so we're going to name those things and we're going to declare what we believe God has said over them. And you're going to put on your boxing gloves and you're going to pray the loudest prayer you've ever prayed. And I know that you're loud here in Atlanta. I've heard you myself. You know, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it, I just feel at home here. I think this is a great family, a great community, just a great church. You know, and, and, and so as we fight for those we love and those that are closest to us and dearest to us, we understand that we're silencing every other voice. We're saying no to everything else that's telling us the circumstances won't change. We're saying no, they will change because we've heard God. So I want you to picture, close your eyes, picture that scenario, what you need to see God deliver on. And I want you now to take responsibility. The fish and loaves are in your hands. The vats are in your hands. And now you're going to participate in the purposes of God by delivering the victory. So right now, I want you to begin to pray out, begin to declare over that situation in English, in tongues, in whatever language you want to use. Begin to declare, begin to call out to heaven. Begin to prophesy over that situation what you know God has said. Begin to speak out. Begin to claim back your children, your loved ones, the businesses that have been taken away from you, the land, I believe there's somebody here who's had an inheritance that was taken away from them. You know, begin to declare, begin to call it back, declare it, speak it out. That which Father has for you cannot be taken from you. Begin to call back the folk here who've been struggling with their health, struggling with their health. Begin to declare that the healing that was purchased on the cross is absolutely yours. That by his stripes you're healed, you're delivered, and you're set free. Begin to call out to Jesus. Begin to call out to heaven. You're not accepting no for an answer because you know that God is for you. You know he's with you. No, you're declaring, you're evicting the hand of Satan. You're evicting the works of the enemy. You're evicting the devourer in the name of Jesus. You're speaking out life and abundance of it into that situation. You're calling back those who are as dead back to life. You're calling them back into the kingdom. You're calling relationships back into order. Broken homes, broken relationships, restored. Marriages which are struggling, restored. We speak out in the name of Jesus. We speak out life. We speak out wholeness. We speak out abundance. We speak restoration and restitution. We speak in the name of Jesus. We declare life and an abundance of it in those situations. Prophesy. Prophesy. Speak as one speaking the very words of God.
Bethel Atlanta will be known as a place where dreams come true. When people walk in through the door, the dreams will instantaneously be activated. Bethel Atlanta is going to be a place that brings unity between races, between peoples. In fact, Bethel Atlanta is going to be fundamental, pivotal in bringing reconciliation across the nation. I've seen uh, out of the South is going to become, I mean, God showed me three people, one bronze. I think, I think, that's, a, I think that's a mixed race guy or girl, but anyway, one fair from the South who is going to bring hope to the nation and bring healing to the nation, bring restoration to the nation from the South. Healing across the nation. And Bethel Atlanta is going to play her part in bringing hope. The church is going to rise up in such a way that people are going to be astonished at what the church can do. You may be small, but you've got a great God. You may be small, but God is going to enlarge your territory. In fact, he already has. And you'll fill it. You'll fill it. You'll fill it. And there's a healing, there's a, there are un, unstopped wells which have not been opened up yet. In fact, that have, that have been closed for generations which you are going to unstop. There's new forms of healing, new, uh, new forms of healing of the person, of the soul. And what you also need to understand is this, that if God is going to do those things, then every one of you is meant to be part. Every one of you is meant to be a leader because what is going to happen to touch the nation? I mean, I, I, a, a year and two months ago, a year and three months ago, you know, I, I was just passing a, a, a little Baptist church in the original Reading. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. God's got a sense of humor. And now he's asking me to help nations do missions. Georgia is going to be saved in Jesus' name. But if Georgia is going to be saved, then it's you God wants to use to bring her to her senses. If you want to be part of that, if you want God to, if, I just want to pray for one final prayer, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you all and an impartation of life into your spirit, into your soul. And if you, if you would like that, just come and join me at the front here. Just come on out here. And I'll pray for you. I'm going to ask the leaders to just come and help me pray for folk as well, please. And I'm, I'm just going to pray simply and then hand over to whoever I've got to hand over to. Uh, but this is a new day. Um, and, you know, it's a new day. It's a, it's a day when ordinary church members are going to look like superheroes. Did I tell you that the top evangelist in our church in the four weeks of mission that we had was an 11-year-old girl? She led 68 people to the Lord. 68. Grown men weeping. She was 11 at the time. She's 12 now. My, my young son didn't like this. He was nine at the time. He's a girl. No, can't be right. So he lined up all his classmates, all 30 of them, and said, who wants to go to hell? 
do you want to go to hell? No? Say this prayer with me, you know. We, we, didn't, we, we didn't count his results in the statistics. Okay? God's about to change everything. But often before God does that, he prunes. Because he wants those who are going to carry it to be faithful. So if you're going to one of those faithful ones, just lift up your hands with me. I'm going to pray an anointing upon you and grace upon your life. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, welcome. Father, fill every heart and every mind and every soul. Lord, it's you we need and it's you we want. And Father, Lord, you hear the heart cry that we carry. We want to be of significant purpose. We know you love us. We know we're loved. We know we're accepted. We know we're sons. We're secure in our sonship. We're secure in who we are. But Father, we want to make a difference for you. We want to make you proud of us. Lord, we know you love us. But we want you to say, there's my daughter and there's my son. Haven't they done well? And so Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Holy Spirit, fill every heart, every mind, every soul. Take us into the extraordinary, oh God. Move us beyond ourselves. Fill, oh God, every heart. I see this young lady here, this amazing dancer. I see kind of like a whole troop. I don't know, is that what you call them? A troop of dancers? Is it a troop or is it a band? I don't. What is it? Wow! 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 And I, but I see, I see something over you that God wants to extend, and you know the deeper stuff. Let Him do it, okay? Because actually, what He wants to pour, pour into your hands is, is just amazing. It's just amazing. And I see it's, it's going to be almost like a school in its own right. I mean, it's not going to be a school, but it's going to be almost like that. It's just going to be so many people learning and the rhythms of heaven are going to be released through you. Wow. I, I, I mean, you're, going to, you're, you're just going to be so scary, you know. You know, when people see you coming, it, you know, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, I'm scared. Because heaven is going to be released through you. I wish I had time. I'd love to just pray for everybody. I, you know, I, I love flowing the prophetic, but I kind of like felt that I should really discharge that word here tonight. And I think the church is on the verge of something extraordinary, if you can see it. And, you know, you've got the DNA of Bethel, which is wonderful DNA. But, you know, there comes a point in time when you grow up. 
My 15-year-old son is squaring up to me now. He's, he knows more than I do, apparently. <laughs> but that's okay. I love it. That's called growing up. And the stuff God's going to release through Atlanta, which is going to bless the whole Bethel family. Because you're unique. And you're wonderfully made. So Father, I want to thank you, Holy Spirit. Fill every heart. What we need to do our part, please, Lord, grant it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.